Church family, if you were here on Friday night for our Pray, Send, Go dinner, you know that those were clips from much longer videos from three of our Pray, Send, Go partners, uh, Great Joy Bible Church in Kigali, Rwanda, Redemption Heights Church uh, in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, and Marissa Sanchez, uh, a missionary on the Eastern Shore. If you weren't able to be here with us on Friday and would like to see the full videos, we will have those available uh, on our social media platforms coming up this week. We will put some out uh, as the week progresses, so make sure that you go there uh, to be able to see the full greetings and reports from uh, our Praise and Go partners. I'll invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And this morning we're going to look at verses 1 through 9 together. As you find your place in your Bible, I want to remind you that at the end of the sermon today, we will respond together using our Praise and Go commitment card. Uh, This has become an annual tradition of our church that uh, one time a year, we all move together at the end of the sermon to say over the next 12 months, we are going to pray, we are going to send, and we are going to go. Uh, We would love for everyone to have the top portion of the card. It actually comes apart on purpose because your name is on the top portion. We would love to know how you would like to pray and how you would like to go over the next 12 months so our ministry team leaders can follow up with you uh, and get you connected with teams going over the next uh, year. And then uh, we collect a uh, our Praise and Go missions offering throughout the year in the connector and as well as on screen, you can see how those funds will be divided. And we would love for you to, above your regular tithes and offerings to our congregation, commit either a one-time gift or a regular gift to Praise and Go. Uh, That money is used to support missionaries around the world, to help us plant churches, and to help us send teams. People are often very surprised when they hear this. But people that go on our mission teams are not asked to pay a dime. That because of the generosity of our church, we were able to send 14 mission teams this last year Uh, as far away as East Africa, uh, and it not uh, be a financial burden on the people that want to go and be a part of those teams. So your faithful giving to this offering not only helps send missionaries and plant churches, it literally helps send people from our church with the good news of Jesus. So if you don't have one of those cards, the guys in the back have them. They would be happy to give you one, and you can uh, use it, fill it out during the sermon, and use it at the end of the sermon today. I invite you to stand with me now as we honor the reading of God's word. I'm going to begin in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3 as we continue here in our series through the book of 1 Corinthians. This is the word of the Lord. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. Let's go to the Lord in prayer together. 
Father, we thank you this morning for the gathered body of Christ, for this local church, a committed group of Christians together around one central mission to make disciples that make disciples. God, we thank you of how you uh, have used this church as a beacon for the gospel in our community and as a catalyst for the gospel in places like Kigali and the Eastern Shore and the Appalachian Trail and Philadelphia. Father, we feel the weight of the testimonies of our partners recognizing that, that they depend upon us to assist them in their good gospel work at the forefront of missions. Father, would you challenge our hearts? Would this, would this day never become routine? Would it never become simply tradition? But would this day in the life of our church be a reminder of how important the Great Commission is for us? And how much more you have in store for this church as we faithfully and obediently answer the call to go with the gospel to our nation, to our neighbors, and to the nations. God, would you bless us today by the power of your Holy Spirit through your word? Would you help it to penetrate our hearts and change our minds? Would you call us to further obedience, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Our sermon is entitled, The Mission Matters. And as we think about the mission today and how we are on mission together, I thought it would be helpful for me to begin by clarifying some terms. When we say mission around here, if you've completed Connect class in the last, I don't know, seven and a half years or so, we have clearly stated that the, the mission of our church is to make disciples that make disciples. This is really what last week's sermon was focused on, was the internal process of disciple making, that at the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 2, we see that there are those in the church who are mature and are able to handle wisdom of God that is deeper than others and that there are immature people in the church who are still being fed milk as Paul's going to address today and, and, and that a healthy church is made up of both immature and mature people as we carry one another along, as we disciple one another in Christ-likeness, helping one another to put off sin and to put on Jesus and that's what the church does. That's the, that's, that's the application of the mission of God internally for the church, that we are helping one another. But we don't only apply the mission of God to make disciples that make disciples internally in our church. We must understand that the great commission that Jesus gave to his church through his disciples reminds us that we don't only apply the mission here. We do have a local mission, a, a, a mission to this body, and a mission to our neighbors to disciple one another towards Christ-likeness and to proclaim the good news of Christ in our day-to-day -day interactions with people we know, with people in our family, with people we work with. 
But the great commission that Jesus gave to his disciples that we believe should always remain in front of us to the point that we literally put it on the wall up here is that we go with the gospel not only here, but we go with the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world, to the ends of the earth. Now, here's what we understand. We we can't go everywhere. It's a big world, and there are a lot of people in it. But we can go somewhere. We understand that we can't plant healthy churches everywhere. Every corner of this world needs a healthy church, a healthy local body of believers that is committed to making disciples together. And we can't plant every one of those churches, but we can plant churches somewhere. Wherever it would be that God would lead us, wherever it is that God would place on our hearts to go, those are the places that we proclaim the gospel, those are the places that we seek to plant churches. So when we say the mission matters and we focus today on missions away from this place, I want you to keep last week's sermon in your mind. We are on mission right now in this room to one another, but we can't be so internally focused that we lose sight of the great commission that there are billions of people around our world who are lost and dying and going to hell and have never heard the name of Jesus. And that through obedience to Christ, we go. The main idea of today's sermon is the Great Commission is most faithfully fulfilled by a unified local church on mission Together, This is what I want you to hear from the sermon today, that to fulfill the Great Commission in its most faithful way, it is done when a unified local church, remember 1 Corinthians 1, 2, 3, and 4 is about the unity of the local church, that a unified local church that understands what we believe, that understands what we are supposed to be about, and the mission that is set before us, that that unified local church is God's plan A for accomplishing the great commission. There is no plan B. It is the local church and the local church alone that works together to proclaim the gospel to our neighbors and to the nations. We're going to see how Paul addresses this idea through the immaturity that still exists in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and their relationship with those who have, who have proclaimed the gospel to them and Paul's view of his own role and the other apostles' role and other church leaders' role in the life of the church so that the church will grow into the mission. First, I want us to see that the flesh works against the mission Our flesh, your flesh, my flesh is constantly used by the enemy to work against the mission of God. Look at the first four verses here. Paul writes, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it, and even now you are not ready Not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For a while there is jealousy and strife among you. Are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? 
Can I paraphrase for us these first few verses? Because this is kind of an often cited passage about milk and meat and about spiritual immaturity and spiritual maturity. But we have to place this in context of the whole letter and place it in context of the spread of the gospel in the New Testament church. It's why um, a month and a half ago when we started this series, we, we... We looked at 1 Corinthians in light of the whole New Testament and the story of what's happening. We have to remember, Paul planted this church. Uh, He goes to Corinth and proclaims the gospel. There are no believers there. And he does spend a, a significant amount of time, maybe 18 months in Corinth, proclaiming the gospel and planting this church. And what he alludes to here is that while he was there... They were, they were still very much of the flesh, even though they were infants in Christ. They had believed, they had professed faith in the gospel, but they were still really figuring out how to walk in it. Now, some three to five years later, Paul is writing to them from Ephesus, hoping to come to them, and having received a report of the disunity and what was causing the disunity in Corinth, he writes to them here and basically says, when I was there... I had to treat you like infants, and unfortunately, now I'm writing to you, and I'm still having to write to you as if you're infants. It's time to grow up, church. (laughs) It's time for you not to need milk anymore, even though, not negating what I said last week, that a healthy church will always have less mature and more mature Christians, but that as a collective, this church was still very much in their flesh. And so he, say, he says, you were, you were people of the flesh. And then he uses their current challenge to remind them of this. He tells them, there's jealousy and strife in verse 3 among you. And he says, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? Here's what's happening in Corinth. Their flesh was getting in the way of the mission. Their flesh was getting in the way of the mission because their flesh was getting in the way of their obedience. They were so focused on internal conflict that they weren't able to focus on external proclamation of the good news of Christ. They were so worried about what other people in the church were doing. They were so worried about who was saved under whom and who was baptized under whom and whether you were of the the camp of Paul or Apollos or Peter and then some even Jesus, right? You remember this from earlier in this this letter? They they became so focused on this that it, it was leaving them just controlled by the flesh. And when we're controlled by our flesh, we're not very good for the mission. I find it interesting that the two sins that Paul names there, jealousy and strife, find themselves in another another epistle from the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter 5 where he talks about the flesh and the spirit. In Galatians 5, starting in verse 16, Paul says, But I say, walk by the spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh, and he's going to list a bunch of things here. You're going to see strife and jealousy in them. But I want you to hear how our flesh limits our obedience. 
right? Now, the works of the flesh are evident. They're sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. When we give ourselves over to the temptations of the flesh and we allow the enemy to use our flesh, we become very ineffective missionaries. We become very ineffective at proclaiming the gospel because we're so eaten up by the temptations that we shouldn't face. And so Paul tells them that, that you, need to, you need to kill the flesh and walk in the spirit. Then he tells us what it means to walk in the spirit there in Galatians 5. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, Paul says, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. This was a major issue in Corinth that they were, they were envious of one another, they were jealous of one another, there was strife, and because of this, they were not, they were so focused on their flesh and gratifying their flesh that they had no opportunity for the mission. So I would ask us, church, how are we allowing our flesh to control our usefulness towards the Great Commission? The more we allow ourselves to be controlled by the flesh, the less engaged we are in the mission of making disciples. And so I would implore us all to heed the words of Paul in Galatians chapter 5, crucify the flesh with its passions and desires. Because as we do so, we are then able to walk in the Spirit, and it is the Spirit of God who gives Christians the strength and the power to proclaim the gospel to continue to be a cruise control, right? The, the same is true relates to crucifying the flesh. There is still flesh within you, my friend, that you need to crucify. There is still flesh within your pastor that I need to crucify. There, there's still flesh within the other elders and church leaders here in this congregation that we need to crucify. This is a constant draw for us to the flesh so that we can walk in the spirit. And as we walk in the spirit, he gives us the strength and the power to fulfill the great commission. Number two, all Christians have a part to play in the mission. Look at verses five and six. Paul asks two rhetorical questions. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Then he answers, servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Paul's looking at not only himself, who had spent a year and a half planting a church in Corinth, but Apollos, who had shortly thereafter followed him there. And he's, the, the language that he uses here, the image that he uses here is watered, that, that the church was able to grow in, under Apollos' ministry there in Corinth. And it's around these people and others like Peter that, that the people in Corinth are, are kind of becoming tribal. They're, they're allowing division and factions to rise in the church. And he says, who are these people? 
Well, of course, Paul knows who these people are because, well, he's one of them. But in the minds of the church, they, they, had, they had elevated them to some unhealthy position. They had elevated them to being the ones who accomplished the mission. That, oh, the ministry of Paul was really important. Oh, the ministry of Apollos was really important. Oh, the ministry of, of Peter was, was, really, was really important. So I'm going to go be on team Paul or I'm going to go be on team Apollos. And Paul says, who are these people? These aren't, these aren't people that are intended to, be, to, to have you know, factions created around. They're simply servants through whom do you believe. The Lord assigned an incredible task to, to Apostle Paul. Think about how much scripture we have because of his faithfulness and the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. The, scripture, the, the Lord assigned an incredible task to Apollos as he appears in multiple places in the New Testament sanctifying the church. And yet he still asks, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? Why does he do this? Because he understood he was simply acting in obedience to the command of God. And church, so should we. Your pastor is not Paul or Apollos. And neither are you, if, if you fancy yourself as such. And we're not trying to be. All we should try to be is obedient to the commission that the Lord has given us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus and to make disciples of Christ. We're not trying to make disciples of Nansman River. We're not trying to make disciples of Ryan Bryce, we're not trying to make disciples of Paul or Apollos. We're trying to point people to Jesus and how his death, burial, and resurrection offers salvation, forgiveness of their sins, and new life in him. Because if we don't, who will? Consider what the Apostle Paul writes in Romans chapter 10. To that church, he says, what does it say? Talking about the word, the word is near you in your mouth and in your heart is the word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For at the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. There is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls in the name of the Lord will be saved. Now just stop there for a minute and understand that's the gospel. That we proclaim indiscriminately the good news of Jesus. And from our vantage point, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That when people place their faith in Christ, it's evidence of a regenerate heart. And then they are in Christ. But listen to what he says in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah said, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. Every time I read this passage in Romans chapter 10, I'm, I'm convicted and we all should be convicted because here's what we understand, that there are still literally billions of people on this planet who even if they woke up today and wanted to know about Jesus, they don't know a single person that could tell them about Jesus. 
They have no access to the gospel whatsoever. How then can they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? We're not trying to be Apollos. We're not trying to be Paul. Who are they? They're just servants. Who are we, Nansman River Baptist Church? We are just servants. We're just obedient servants. That's, that's who we are. We're, we're obedient servants going to the places that we sense the leading of God in the life of our church to go, to have a presence, to proclaim the gospel, and to plant churches. That's who we are. We're not trying to be remembered we're not, we're, we're not trying to gain notoriety. We're, we're not trying for any of this because none of that is the goal, even for those like Paul and Apollos who had notoriety and who are remembered. It wasn't their goal. Who are they? Simply servants of Christ. And then notice what they do. Paul says, I planted in verse 6, and Apollos watered, meaning that there are different functions for different Christians. Paul was an incredible church planter. He, he, I mean, you, you could make the argument, Paul's the greatest church planter in all of Christendom. That, that Paul planted churches a, across multiple continents. And because of the, his writings to those churches, we have much of the New Testament. We're grateful for the obedience of the Apostle Paul planting churches but he recognized that he couldn't do everything and that other people came in and watered like Apollos. And that was more the role that Apollos played in the life of the church was he was a waterer. He was one that would help to draw churches towards sanctification and to help move them towards maturity. I planted, Apollos watered. So there's different functions within the church. Not everyone is going to do everything. Sometimes these are conversations that we have to have here because we, we, we make a lot of our mission partnerships, and I think rightly we, we place a lot of value on going with the gospel, and, and people want to go, and, and we want you to go. We really do. I want you to, to consider over the next 12 months on that card how you could go with the gospel to one of our mission partners. But here's what we know. You can't go to all of them. Do you know, we've, we've been partnered with Marissa on the Eastern Shore um, for eight years, and I've never been. I would like to go sometime. Every time they go, it seems to just kind of not work out for me to be able to go. Now, I've, I've gone numerous times to our church partners in Africa, numerous times to our church partners in Philly, uh, but I, I've not been able to go to the Eastern Shore or to the Appalachian Trail. And you know what? That's okay. Isn't it okay? It's okay. You have not gone to some of those places too, and, and it's okay because we can't all go and be everywhere we are. We can't all go and do everything, and we all have different functions, and those functions are assigned to us by God. We need to understand that some are going to be planters, some are going to be waterers, but we are all sharing in the same mission together. Listen to how Paul says this in Romans chapter 12. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Again, keep this in your mind. What is Apollos? What is Paul? Don't think of yourself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body, we have many members. That's us, church. As in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individual members, one of another, that's a description of membership in the local church, 
Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service and serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Everybody plays a different role. And, and, and your role may be a behind-the-scenes role. Your role because of physical limitations may be, may be a prayer role, a warrior role. Your, your role because of your current life circumstances may be that you're a giver and that you are able to send missionaries because what God has blessed you, you're then in turn able to give and bless others so that they can go. Maybe you're a trainer and you can go and, and, and train church leaders. That's primarily what I do when I go on our mission teams is, is they gather church leaders and I, I train them because it's a thing that I do. Maybe you have an incredible gift of evangelism and, and you could go and be a part of our partnerships and, and the people that you come across just by d- divine appointment, you're able to share the gospel and, and people are able to believe. Maybe you're the one that gets the food ready so that we can attract people to come to a place and they be able to hear the gospel. You see, God's assigned to each of us varying gifts, but there's one mission. One. There's one mission before us. And this isn't a mission of personality. And so just as members should not create unnecessary factions within the church around personality or preferences, as Paul's already addresses here, church leaders, mission team leaders, church planters, missionaries can't place themselves in positions of undue importance or prominence either. Listen, if Paul doesn't say, you know, y'all owe a lot to me because I planted your church. No, he says, who's Paul? I'm just a servant of Christ. Then that should be the attitude of all of us, regardless of how God has used us in his mission. Who am I but a servant of Christ? And then what do we see? God, at the end of verse six, God is the one who gives the growth. And that leads us into verses seven and nine, through nine and our last point, that the Lord alone accomplishes the mission. Know this church, the mission is God's mission. And God will accomplish his mission to redeem a people for himself, to call his disciples who hear his voice and they will answer him. Listen to these verses. So then, because God gives the growth, and then Paul's going to prove that here in verses 7 through 9. So then, who planted nor he who waters is anything. He reiterates, it's not about Paul, it's not about Apollos, it's not about Nansman River Baptist Church, but only God who gives the growth. It's about God and God alone. The mission is about God. The Great Commission is about God. We are about the business of glorifying God because he is the one who grows his church. He says in verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one and each will receive his wages according to his labor for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. Here's what we know. God has tasked his church with a clear mission, go and make disciples. And as you make disciples, you baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You bring them into the life of the church. That's what baptism represents. And then you teach them everything that I have commanded. You teach them how to obey. You grow them from immaturity to maturity. We make disciples that make disciples. That's the mission. But we can't manufacture that on our own. This is, this is both the, the, the scariest thing and the most comforting thing that we can say. 
Because it's scary if we look at missions from a result-oriented mindset. That if we only view our mission opportunities as, as effective if they result in something. If we're able to come back and say, hey, we had 38 people get baptized, right? Well, what if nobody got baptized? Or, right, if we could somehow manufacture it, then we should gauge effectiveness based off of results. But we don't. So this is comforting in knowing this, that we go and proclaim the gospel, whether it's you proclaiming the gospel to people in your own household or in your neighborhood, or it's us proclaiming the gospel to people away from this place amongst our partnerships. We proclaim the gospel believing and knowing this, that it is God alone who gives the growth. I have never saved a single soul. And neither of you. you, we don't save people. We obediently proclaim the gospel and then God saves people. Hear how Paul says it in Romans chapter eight. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those who he, whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the full description of the work of the gospel in the life of believers from before the foundation of the world where the, the Godhead agreed to redeem a people from their sin through now, where we are being justified and we are being sanctified and into the future where we will one day be glorified. And it is the Lord alone who can cause this kind of salvation in the lives of unregenerate sinners. He alone gives the growth because this is his field. We are simply laborers in his field. So do we celebrate when people profess faith or we see effective missions and we actually see results? Sure, we celebrate. But do we get down on ourselves when we don't see that? No, not at all. Because we trust in a holy and sovereign and righteous God who is at work in ways we could never know. He is the owner of the field, and not only the owner of the field, he is literally the one that can take a seed and turn it into a plant. None of us can do that, but he can. And Jesus would warn us not, not, to, not to be bothered by this. He says to Nicodemus in John chapter 3, Do not marvel that I said you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Listen, I, I can't tell you if somebody's going to hear the gospel this morning and believe in Christ unto salvation. I can't tell you that or not. So what do we do? We faithfully proclaim the gospel. You, we can't know as we send mission teams next year if people will believe the gospel. But what do we do? We just faithfully proclaim the gospel, trusting that the Holy Spirit will do the work that he does. This doesn't... This doesn't lessen our responsibility. This is sometimes what people will think. Well, if God's just going to save who God's going to save, why do I need to go and do anything? Because, listen, if that's your mindset, you need to listen to me. If your mindset is, well, God's going to save who God's going to save, so why should I go doing anything? That is disobedience to the Lord. Obedient Christians 
participate in the mission. The mission is for every one of us. And no, we can't save anyone, but we should give our lives to the cause of making disciples that make disciples. He is the one. He is the one who gives the growth. And it's laborers in the field. Notice what he says in verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive wages according to his labor. Labors in his field will be held accountable for our labor. We will stand before the Lord of glory one day and be held accountable for what we did with the gospel message that was entrusted to us, our labor, his laborers. So then, what do we do? Well, we come to our point of application. How will we pray, send, and go in order to fulfill, faithfully fulfill the Great Commission? We have a mission clearly set before us, church, to proclaim the gospel locally and internationally. God has given us the abilities and the gifts. There are incredibly gifted people in this church. God has given us the resources. Thankfully unto him, he has blessed families in this church with the ability to be, to be able to give in such a way that we can support church plants, that we can send missionaries, that we can send mission teams. Every one of us has the ability to pray, earnestly praying, trusting that the Lord will do his work, and many of us can go. I would say all of us can go in some way. All of us can go to the person who lives in our house who has not professed faith in Christ. All of us can go to our neighbor who has not believed. Most of us can go to people in our, our, our jobs and people in our spheres of influence. We get this theme, pray, send, go, from Luke chapter 10, and we tend to always end here on pray, send, go Sunday. So I want you to hear these words of Christ. As he sends out missionaries, he says, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So let me start with pray. Let me tell you what I'm personally praying for. For the first time in eight years, there's no member from our church living internationally with the purpose of missions. And so I'm praying that the Lord will raise up more people from our church, young people who are graduating from college, young professionals who can move around the world, families who would sell their homes and uproot their children and go with the gospel to the nations. Fortunately, I can tell you now, church, there's at least one in our congregation who is already far along that path, and we hope in the coming months to be able to tell you more about how God may take a member of our church once again to go to the, to go to the nations with the gospel. I'm also praying that the Lord will, in the coming months, use Nansman River Baptist Church to plant yet another congregation. We've planted Great Joy Bible Church in Kigali, Rwanda. We've planted Redemption Heights, Bible, uh, Redemption Heights Church in Philadelphia within the last decade. Uh, prior to that, our church has planted other churches locally and uh, in the United States. But I'm praying, and I would invite you to join with me in praying that God would give us the resources and God would give us the church planter and that God would give us the place along with our other partners, very likely through the Pillar Network here in Hampton Roads, to be able to plant a church in, an, in a part maybe even of our own city that is underserved by the gospel. 
So we pray for those things as we pray for those churches that we have planted and those missionaries that we have partnered with. Then we pray about how we can send. Part of our commitment today is how will we send? Because it costs money to send people. Airplane tickets cost money. Mission work costs money. Churches need places to to meet. They, they, They need resources. And God has richly blessed this congregation with resources. And so then we commit together to sending by by giving. Now, here's here's the one challenge that I would face with this. Some people see their role in praise and go as simply stroking a check. And so my, 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 just a little push into your life, if that's the way that you approach it, we're grateful for you giving so that we can send. That's great. But I wonder, does stroking that check make you just feel good? Do you feel like you've checked a box? I just wonder that. Don't allow that to become your mentality. You think, well, I'm a sender because I give. I'm grateful you give. Our family gives to the Praise and Go Mission offering. I pray every member of our church will give to this offering above and beyond what they regularly give to the work of this church. But don't let, simply, don't let money be the way that you just say, well, I'm, I'm participating. But, but how can we give so that others can go? And then finally, how can you go? Jesus says, go your way. Behold, I'm sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So many times I have conversations with people who are like, I would love to go on a mission trip, but I'm just scared. I don't know that I'll have the right thing to say. I don't know that I'll be able to engage with the culture. I don't know that I'll be able to make the journey. You know, those, fl- those plane flights are really, really long. I, I-, I don't know that, I-, I just don't know that I'll be able to handle it. Behold, I am sending you out in the midst of, as lambs in the midst of wolves, Jesus said. We're not supposed to be comfortable in the mission. It's not supposed to be easy. It's supposed to be hard. We're lambs in the midst of wolves who has a great shepherd who guides and protects us along the way. And he is the one by his power that equips us for this work. So church, how will we pray, send, and go in order that we may faithfully fulfill the great commission for another year here at Nansman River? Now, before we respond corporately, I just want to make this plea. This isn't only about people away from this place. And maybe you're here today because a friend invited you. And you're like, why would y'all spend so much energy and so much money and, and literally hundreds of thousands of dollars to go with the gospel to people you don't know? It's, it's because we know something that you don't, my friend. We know of the saving power of Jesus Christ and him crucified in our place. And when we know that, it changes our priorities. But you can know it too. You can experience that too. You can have the wind of the Holy Spirit, as Jesus talked about in John 3, blow into your life and cause you to be born again. And here's what that looks like for you. It simply looks like you placing your faith and trust in Jesus, calling on the name of the Lord to be saved. And so as we respond here in a moment, I would implore you, my friend, if you have never turned to Christ for salvation, would you do that this morning so that you then can participate in the mission in the future. Let me pray for us, and then I'll give us some instructions, church. Father, we thank you for the good news of your gospel. I thank you for a church that takes this mission seriously to proclaim the gospel and make disciples of Christ in this body, in this city, in this state, in this nation, and on this planet. 
God, may you entrust us with more as we have been faithful with what you have already given us. Would you call new men and women to missions? Would you call them to uproot their lives and to go? Would you, would you show us, God, by, by the direction of your spirit, just through wisdom in our, in our church, how we can plant, where we can plant? Trust us with the resources to be able to do these things that are far beyond what a congregation like this should be able to do. Because it is by your power that all of this is done. We simply desire to be obedient servants of the one who owns the field. So God, would you help us to commit ourselves to praying, sending, and going in a way that we have not done before. For the glory of God, for the exaltation of his son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, if you're new with us, maybe you've joined our church within the last year, you've never seen a praise and go service. This is the one time a year we ask everybody to physically respond, even if today's your first day. If nothing else, we're not asking you to go on a mission trip today, but if nothing else, you could probably say, you know what, I'll be willing to pray. I'd, I'd, be, I'd be willing to pray for missionaries. I'd be willing to pray for these people that we saw on the screen. I'd, I'd be willing to pray for those things. Well, you can indicate that on this card. So we want you to tear the card apart. We'd love for everybody to have the top part and families to each have the bottom. And then what we do is here in a moment, our worship team is going to begin to lead us in worship, and then we're going to ask you to just physically respond, to come down and to place these things here on the platform, not because we think this is a holy place, but we think that the, the demonstration of our efforts together matters, and it's a visual demonstration for us. So church family, I invite you to stand with me and respond by bringing your cards forward as we sing.